Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. Don't miss Tottenham versus Liverpool on Super Sunday. Live only on Sky Sports. And you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five. Football Saturday. Remember our coverage on Off the Ball brought to you by Sky. Watch Arsenal versus Brighton in the Women's Super League uh, this Saturday, live only on Sky Sports. I beg your pardon. It is Sunday. Arsenal against Brighton in the Women's Super League. Thanks to Sky Sports. You can text us 53106, tweet us at Off the Ball. We're streaming the conversation, listen on News Talk, watch us as well on the digital and social channels for Periscope and Twitter at Off the Ball, YouTube, Facebook, and on the OTB Sports app for iOS and Android. Search OTB Sports in your app store now to download it if you haven't already. We're joined by the former Republic of Ireland and Liverpool defender Mark Lawrenson, Irish independent football correspondent Dan McDonnell and the broadcaster and journalist Johnny Ward to talk about the beautiful game. Aston Villa against Burnley is off. Six Premier League games now postponed this weekend because of COVID-19 positives. Are we going behind closed doors, Laro? What's the vibe over in Liverpool at the moment? Um, well, nobody knows, do they? Because obviously it's, it's changing <clears throat> rapidly, John. But I do... I can't believe that the Premier League did, said to all the chief execs and owners of the football clubs that they won't speak till Monday because, as we know, it develops day by day, this thing. So, I mean, the Villa game getting called off, what, just under two hours before it was due to play is, is ridiculous when you think about it. And it, with all these things, it's always the supporters who cop it. In the end, the Burnley fans will have been on the way, etc. I think when... Uh, the Brentford manager said the other night, you know, let, let's forget about Boxing Day. Let's have a, a kind of a reset and see where we are. I think that's probably one of the best things that anybody said. I know other people said, let's keep playing. Let's do this. Let's do that. Look, there's going to be loads of games called off. This thing's not going away. If we can cast your mind back to when, you know, the first with COVID-19 and everything, we didn't we didn't see football for ages for a while. And then, of course, as the question you just asked me about, you know, no punters in the stadium... That's going to come, isn't it? It's bound to come if we can play. That's the other thing, if the players can play. But the big thing for me and the worst thing is that there's a high percentage of players in the Premier League who've not been vaccinated. I mean, you know, you you, you own it to anybody, you know, to actually get a vaccination. If you're mixing with people, I really seriously do not get that at all. And Jurgen Klopp's been a good leader on that this week. Yeah, he speaks loads of sense. Well, you know what he did? He he got them all together and he said, look, boys, we've already been through this, right? He said, so th- th- this is this is my fix on it again, is, you know, boosters, every, everybody, you know, they've all had the second backs that, that I know because they all, they all decided together to go and do it. They made one big decision on behalf of everybody and I presume now that they've all had the booster jab, et cetera. So, and, you know, he's such a sensible person because he, said, he explained it to his players. He said, look, I know nothing about this. When COVID first struck, I know nothing about it. He said, so what do I do? He said, I ring my mate who's a specialist in Germany. And he said to me, go and get vaccinated. He said, get one and two, and then you might need another. But he's just saying to him, go and get vaccinated. So what he's saying is he went to somebody who knows exactly everything about it, took his advice, and then said to the players, this is what my man said. And they went, right, OK, we'll, we'll, we'll all go and do it. And naming the players as well that are out. Yeah, well, what's what what's there to hide? Yeah, you know, it it, it is what it is, isn't it? And I mean, other clubs going, oh well, uh, I'm not sure who it is. And well, just if they've got it, they've got it. So I, I don't I don't really see what the issue is. I mean, it's it's a massive thing yet again. Let's have a bit of honesty about it. But the the Premier League worry me 
Um, they, they really seriously do about, you know, they, they're so frightened of, of, of making a wrong decision and doing the wrong thing. I can get it a little bit, but at least come come on straight away and said, look, you know, this is, keeps changing. We were going to have a meeting today, whatever. We postponed it to Monday to see exactly where we are. But all we get is these messages when the games are called off. And it's, it's absolute bull, to be honest with you, John. Yeah, and uh, lads, uh, any player not vaccinated is uh, putting them other people at risk and also increasing the possibility of a stop-start season. Yeah, um, it's disappointing that we're talking about this now, JD. Um, the, the, the clock thing about naming the players, that was one thing in the whole COVID you know, situation that I couldn't really get my head around. Why there was all this secrecy about who may or may not have COVID. It's, it's not like it's a shameful thing to happen. You know, It's obviously spreading quite rapidly now as we see with these games called off. But I think he's led the way on it. Um, we've had lots of controversies, obviously. We're going to talk about Ireland today. Callum Robinson, obviously, his views on it. His, you know, there are a lot of footballers who, for whatever reason, don't want to get the vaccine. And there is a, a, a situation where you know it is kind of... Um, your choice but ultimately it's leading to situations now JD where um, obviously unvaccinated people and vaccinated people are getting it but if you're not vaccinated um, it's going to result in a lot of games called off and as Laura said it is difficult for fans two hours before kickoff, and I'm just really really satisfied that the League of Ireland is over because crowds are now being reduced here and we'd probably be dealing with this mess over here as well if it were still going Yeah Dan and maybe more managers and players should be speaking out like Klopp did No I guess so you know and I think there's this, this sort of um, this this sort of Reluctance to do. I, I I think maybe the reluctance to name people at the start might have been to do with the fear that, um, like in some way, I, I don't. The players not wanted to be known because you might have you might be inhibited with this virus in the long run. You know, there was fears around that, and I don't really understand that. You know, having had it myself in the last couple of weeks, you know, it's it's sort of uh, it's it's pretty. It's pretty common to have it, and there's no sort of shame or stigma around it. It just just so happens. But I don't know where this goes. Like I, I don't really like. Yeah, you want you want sort of people to to speak about it. Uh, John, like yes, you would you would like that, and I mean the stats of the Premier League are sort of somewhat anomalous, like that is what sixty eight percent or something, whereas some of the other major leagues in Europe it's ninety five, ninety four, ninety six percent, which is probably like a reflection maybe of. I mean, you know, in England as well, like clearly, I mean, I, 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 there's there's some reticence and reluctance there, and and whatever you can you can go off on a tangent and trace that to leadership and certain things that have happened. Um, but I mean, what we are obviously seeing at the moment is that players who are double jabbed are contracting the virus, and people who are are contracting the virus, and. I don't know. Like you're heading into a very strange year next year, anyway, with uh, the Qatar World Cup being in December, and uh, a sort of a weird schedule. Like that, that, that. I mean, the Premier League again, so desperate to to try and preserve its preserve itself and preserve its schedule that I mean, the Premier League is playing right up until a week before the World Cup in Qatar starts, you know. Um, and, and clearly there is going to be a backlog created here. There is going to be an issue created here. Um, and we're probably going to go back to playing those games around the clock. But I, I, don't, I don't know what the easy solution is. I don't know. I, I do agree with Laurel and, and it was Sean Deitch who said it, that like, I think probably this, this, this doesn't serve any purpose for anyone at the moment, like games going at two hours notice. It's, uh, I, I understand there's something sacrilege about the, the, the Stevens Day fixtures, you know, the Boxing Day fixtures as it is over there. There's big money in them. I know up, up north here, like they don't even want to play a winter league because, or, or summer league, sorry, because part of it is that these fixtures are so huge. But 
I think they're probably going to have to go for once, maybe give players a bit of time over the festive period. So they're not even worried about bringing it to their families over Christmas as well too. And there's, there's just a whole lot of stuff that would make you uncomfortable. Take the break, take stock and see where you go in January. Because even John, the whole integrity of the competition's been all over the place as well too. John, I just, I just wonder, what, what if you said to the players who haven't been vaccinated, you're making yourself unavailable for the team, therefore you can't play? And therefore, you can't be paid, which might be more relevant. Do you think they'd all suddenly start getting vaccinated? Um, maybe, but uh, are you into all kinds of legal issues around that kind of thing? Um, is it the right thing? We've seen a bit of precedent with regard to you know Google um, doing that. Um, one of the big supermarket chains as well, um, compelling their workers to get vaccinated. Judy, I just wonder though, what what makes footballers more intelligent than everyone else that they shouldn't get vaccinated? I know they're footballers and they're elite sports people, but if <laughs> in the current environment it's so well, rampant same. that if you're not vaccinated, you're going to cause serious problems because there's obviously a very good chance that you're going to get it. But there's a, it's a reflection of the like the thing is that in that age bracket of footballers in the UK. Um, like you know, sort of most footballers are in between the sort of eighteen to thirty-two, I suppose, thirty-three bracket. There is a degree of like vaccine resistance in that age cohort in the UK. We've even seen it around um, the, the discussions around introducing sort of vaccine passports for um, for gyms. You know, a lot of people who are sort of fitness freaks who you know go to the gym and stuff. They don't. They don't want to take the vaccine. They have a and I don't want to generalise and, and sort of, you know, because there's loads of people in that world who are, but there certainly is within that world uh, a reluctance to go there with it. Um, and, I, I mean, it, 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 we, we, we do see, I think, if people follow sort of social media, you will see um, there's a sort of a, a number of footballers who are very much disposed towards some of the more you know, conspiracy theory sort of vein of, of thinking, you know, or very energised by the likes of sort of um, like Matt Letizier now, sort of renowned, suddenly, you know, uh, sort of an, an artist on the pitch, but we didn't actually know he was a sort of a scientist off it, you know, in the sense that he's suddenly um, leading a movement. But a lot of players are are listening to that. That is the, the world that they they operate in. And, and like, there's, there's different grades. Like, there are some players who who are who very f- strongly believe that. I actually had a small bit of sympathy for someone like Callum Robinson who probably was just come into the press conference with Ireland a couple of months back and was just honest. But really, the more he spoke about it, you could see, to be blunt, he, he hadn't necessarily been a deep thinker on the subject. Like, he didn't necessarily have a principled stand on it. He wasn't a, an anti-vaxxer or anything. He just just wasn't in his circle something that was being done and he just hadn't really done it and there's a lot of footballers that we can maybe come at it from a perspective here where maybe we all sound like we have the very the same opinion and some people will will have an issue with that you know that there's no variety of views here on this but but there would be footballers in their world who are hearing different opinions around them and are following that but the idea of um, making it mandatory, I'd imagine you'd probably just fall into some some obstacles uh, around that because there will be case studies of people who will say there's some religious issue or something that will stop them from doing it that would become a, a centre point for it. But you do wonder if it's going to go that way, particularly you know when it comes to maybe players who want to travel and play and stuff or whatever. Do you, do you need to have done something? And obviously football is wedded to money, Mark, and it's going to be, mm. even from the other side, the health of the players with, with burnout and the calendar and the, 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 the demands on them. Like, it's an, a well, runaway train, especially with postponements well, now. You, you say that, but, you know, the top clubs, that's, that's all they do. 
play, you know, three times a week, loads. That, if you're successful, that's the way that it is, John. And listen, the other thing, it's, it's going to be the same for everybody, is it not? Eventually, from when this is sorted. And, and, and just another point I'd like to make about the vaccine thing is, don't you think all the doctors at these football clubs are saying to these lads privately, if they have a conversation, look, you, you know, it's in your best interest to get vaccination, surely. Yeah, and especially with Omicron now, which is, seems to be much more um, contagious uh, mm. as, a, as a variant, maybe a milder variant, and we don't know the, mm. the, the ins and outs of it, but there's more of a likelihood that it's going to be more prevalent in society. So uh, I don't know. It's, it's not the easiest thing to be talking about, to be honest, uh, one week out of Christmas, um, heading back to matches behind closed doors. I wonder if the lads at the African accommodations are going to happen at all even mm. now, you know? That, that, that does appear to be, although in some ways, you know, having a tournament in one place in one country where, where teams are in firm bubbles within it, is possibly in some ways easier to to manage than some other things where I think isn't that part of the view around the Premier League is that maybe that the, the protocols they were operating weren't as strict as they were back at the start yeah. of Project Restart yeah. and they just need to go back and, and even maybe in a way having that circuit breaker might be a way of doing it because like a lot of players, like a lot of people in, in life it would appear you know life is going on as normal to some degree in parts of the, the UK so you assume the players are doing that they're not stopping themselves going to restaurants or whatever like you know did a couple of clubs even have sort of Christmas bashes and stuff like that whatever they possibly might have in the last couple of weeks um, I mean, that all has to stop you know yeah I mean you guys are probably not um, cricket fans um, I, don't mind I, a bit, I don't mind a bit of cricket Laura right well I was up early this morning watching England which is always fun even though you're yeah. Irish yeah, obviously. But it's, 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 it's the laughable part of it, which is great, because they always collapse when they go to Australia because they wet themselves. But they were saying today there, uh, I think it was the lunch break, and they were saying that, you know, all the players from from both Australia and England, when they actually, they're allowed to go out at night, but they're only allowed to go out and eat outside. They're not allowed to eat inside, which I think actually was quite a clever thing to do, no? And, and also summer there as well. Uh, which helps. Well, there is, there is that to it. Is, what's wrong with the frozen north? There's nothing wrong with it, Michael. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think a, I think taking a break, like there is, it is just to get a handle on things and just to see where yeah. things are. Like yeah. there's a lot of that putting the foot in the ball rather than this constant um, sort of degree of suspense about what fixtures might go in the next couple of days. Well, I don't it, think that's, that really achieves it's anything. It's getting back to where it was, isn't it, with the, the like strict regulations. I mean, like Lurgan Klopp is saying, where we go to our car and like this in the last few days where it could be the case that they've got to get into bubbles again or behind closed yeah. doors. to Because mm. ultimately the Premier League will decide we've got to get this finished, lads, because uh, it's all about the money, all about the broadcasting contracts yeah. and fulfilling those. That, 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 whole, oh, yeah. that, that whole point, and, and we'll probably talk about this throughout the show, with Ireland's four games in June, like the, the, the demands on players um, is getting to the levels of insane at this stage and because of the World Cup this year is, is, is ridiculous but the players um, we have to stop thinking that they're, re- they're very well paid and they should get on with it because the demands placed on players at the top level now is absolutely absurd and um, I've spoken to a few people in the game this week who would have serious alarm about the fixture list that Ireland have to face in, in the four days going to Yerevan after playing um, Ukraine at home coming back then to play Scotland um, all of this in the, in, the, in, the, in the space of 10 days that's to do with Qatar but if you add in COVID cancellations as well, and as you say, JD, the Premier League's insistence that we get through the calendar, um, players will be coming out of the you know the the Premier League season with their clubs probably not wanting them to play for Ireland, but they will they will themselves want to play for Ireland. They'll be extending the season into June, having I think it ends in early May, um, and all of this is complete madness, really. And um, I think that the players' rights, as much as they're well paid, shouldn't be lost in this either. 
53106 if you want to get in touch. Uh, what went on this week, I suppose? There's only one of these like almost a review of the weeks at this stage, uh, given there's nothing to talk about at <laughs> three o'clock. We have that? nothing to talk about. Well, at least we're not going back to like, yeah. reviewing World Cups from the well, 70s, that, 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 which were very popular, obviously. That was any. one of the best things we've ever done on this I know, show. but at least we, you know, we do hopefully have, we, we have things that have happened in the last week to, to still discuss. Yeah, yeah. What was your first cup memory, Lauro? My first what? World Cup memory. Uh, my first World Cup memory would have been '66. Wow! Yeah, so I was what I was nine, and I remember when it went to extra time. Me and my mate Stephen Jewers playing football in the garden, and I, I was Germany and he was England, but <laughs> I won. <laughs> you still remember? There was no contentious goals, obviously, was there at the time or nothing? They were. I, I battered him, to be honest with you. Absolutely. <laughs> he's never, never, ever forgiven me. Mind you, he was crap at football, so I should have battered him as well. We spoke about this at the time, Judy. Was that like, where? what was the TV situation in Ireland around that time? Like, It, it was on in Ireland. Mm. Uh, obviously, it was the most watched broadcast in the UK. I think it was 30 million people watching mm. on BBC. In or black, and in black and white. In black mm. and white, yeah. Mm. Um, but Laura, you've been to World Cup finals as a broadcaster with BBC, with, with Motti. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've done about five now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've been obviously really, really lucky. I mean, they're absolutely fabulous. When you when you don't particularly worried about you know your team winning, they're just great events to, to go to. And you know, in every single country that I've been, it's just that it's all it is. It's on you know dominates radio, TV, you know, travel, absolutely everything. And um, you probably the good thing as well is you see the country in a really good light because everybody's happy basically because they're staging this massive kind of world show for everyone. The best would be the first yeah. proper tainted one in that regard. Yeah, I just, yeah. uh, just think, isn't it mad that yesterday, uh, December seventeenth, like one year on, is the World Cup final? Yeah. Like this, this day next year will be reflecting on the World Cup final, uh, yeah. which well, is sort of money the, again, chaps. Huh? Yeah, yeah, it's the new level. The, mm. the best one you're at, Laro. Best World Cup. Oh, crikey. Uh, best World Cup, best World Cup. Um, I like Brazil. Mm. Not necessarily the, the final, just Brazil was, like, brilliant uh, in, ev- in every single way. The only problem about Brazil, and I mean, because um, obviously I was on a plane nearly every other day, and they have this system in Brazil in terms of, of, of flying, which is, so you go up sort of the left of the country, you have to fly back to sort of, uh, whether it be Rio um, or Sao Paulo to go uh, or the other side of the country, John. Basically, you couldn't fly from one side of the country to the other. You had to go back to go up and stuff. So I did unbelievable amount of miles. But I didn't realise until, until after about a week or so, obviously, you know, big suitcase because I'm there for five weeks and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's like it sounds a ball late, chucking your, your bag on your suitcase and all that kind of thing, queuing, queuing at the airport. And then somebody, I saw this guy from there, uh, from FIFA, who I'd seen him at different airports. And I was just in this long queue, and he walked past. He said, what are you doing in that? I said, I'm, I'm waiting to check in for the plane. He went, you, you said, no, you're uh, you, you're you thinking you've got a pass for everywhere. I said, well, that's just for the games. He went, no, 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 no. He says, come with me. And bloody UEFA, excuse my friend, FIFA at every, every terminal you went to had four separate desks for FIFA-designated people. Wow. It took me two weeks to find out. Special people. Dan, did you have any of these? Uh, I, 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 I was, I was in it? Brazil for seven weeks. I don't think I, I don't think I found that person. I'm <laughs> God now, to be honest. I, I, I could have got out of here. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I do remember. I didn't do probably. 
as much flying, but I do remember that system of having to fly back. Yeah, you had to go, you, like every sort of trip seemed to be like a, a double header where you had to go back to Rio or, yeah. or, or, or Sao Paulo, I think it was, or whatever it was. And it was a great tournament. But I didn't necessarily, I, I went to like Manaus, which was up in the Amazon, the Amazon. And I think I went to Fortaleza, which was up um, up in that neck of the woods as well. Yeah. But I didn't go to some of the other ones, which you probably did by the sounds of it, you know. Was it Salvador yeah, or a couple of those places, was it? I mean, yeah, because yeah. the story about Brazil is they moved the capital city in land, didn't they? Because uh, they, they always felt that they didn't want it by the sea just in case they got attacked or invaded and they wanted it to be more inland. And I can't remember the name of it, was it? Well, Brazil, well, they, they, well Brasilia. Yeah. Brasilia yeah. is then where they yes. actually built that big stadium, Brasilia, which was complete uh, white elephant stadium because they didn't have a like a top-level club in there, which I think, I don't know if it was some story recently, was that stadium either knocked or they were doing like monster truck racing in it or something. Like a lot yeah. of the stadiums in Brazil were just completely redundant once the, the competition finished, which is the sad... The sad but yeah. sort of familiar World Cup story. I've never got but into the monster it. truck race myself. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, and they built it, John, on on the uh, the the American way. You know, where, where obviously they build the roads all in grids and, and stuff like that. But it was the most boring city ever. It was useless, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, it was. It was dull. We, we only have one game um, today. Then at half five, if that doesn't get called off in the next few minutes uh, being cynical uh, Leeds against Arsenal Mark uh, Obama Yang should they just cut their losses yeah well don't don't you, don't you look at that and just substitute his name for Ozil is, is, isn't that where we're at it's, it's, it's exactly the same is it not I mean um, I can't remember if it was you guys I was telling uh, lately the other day about um you know Alex Scott, the girl who presents Football Focus. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So she obviously played for Arsenal, played for a long time, and captain the team and stuff like that. And she last season she was doing a due to do an in, uh, interview with Obama Yang. He kept her waiting four hours, and in the end he didn't turn up. Now I'm sorry. Even even if it's even if he didn't want to do it, and probably he'd agreed to do it, and then suddenly thought, oh, I can't be bothered. I've got something better. Even if he just text her. And gone, look, I'm really, really sorry. I can't do it today. Something's cropped up. Can I do it another day? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And the press officer at Arsenal was ringing and ringing and ringing and texting and texting and emailing Obama Yang and nothing. And so I think then you realise you're in trouble. And it looks to me at the moment that in that dressing room, I think secretly they're all delighted that he's not even training with them. And I think that's why probably Arteta's done it. He's probably gone in the dressing room, Obama Yang's not around, and he's thinking, wow, this is completely different. There's a nice mixture of the kids and the energy and the experienced players and everything. And he's thought, this, this is for me. So, yeah, cut your losses. You know, thank you very much. I yeah. think we, we said on the programme the other day, you know, why didn't Jurgen Klopp take him when he could have taken him? Well, now we know why. Well, uh, Miguel Delaney's written about it that uh, Aubameyang is liked by some of the players, and uh, there's a lackadaisical kind of there's a kind of a carefree uh, apparently yeah. nature to him. But I suppose if you're on three hundred and fifty grand a week, and if you've only scored four goals a season, and in your first two full seasons you score twenty two goals each time, there's an obvious decline in your performance. And if you're causing Miguel Arteta, who seems to be trying to change the culture of Arsenal, whether he's been successful at that or not, um, he's not going to fit in with the culture of of Arteta wanting people to, I suppose, uh, be on. Uh, discipline, so yeah. yeah. Well, you've got to have discipline, John. You don't have discipline, you've got you've got no chance. Yeah, really, you haven't. You, you can't have discipline. You, you've got to have it. 
like and William Gallas Granite Jacket it's not the first time there's something in that club there's, some, there's something in the club and, and it's not me just because I'm first but they met him captain as well which is sort of um, there's something, something that there's, that there's a it's not the club of uh, Bold and Adams and Vieira and, the, and the, yeah. that kind of strength of character it, mm. maybe Arteta's trying to get that back and maybe he'll get it back because it seems like these young lads are like Emil Smith Rowe, Saka, Martinelli, you know, there's a positivity yeah. about these Shouldn't guys. Be lost that they're fourth, like they're up to fourth after well, that's that. That's it. Win. I mean, they're, 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 they're not. Uh, but it's like one moment they're very good the other night against West Ham, but mm. that was after a brutal performance at Goodison. Mm. Well, I think they've got that in them a little bit, haven't they? But that, that John, might be something to do with the younger players where, you know, they, they can be great for two or three games and then they fall off a little bit. And maybe that's when you should leave them out. But um, that's probably what that is. But you know they're looking like they're starting to look like a good side. I don't still think they'll finish fourth because I think Man United will. But if of course the league gets finishes finished, but they're definitely on the up. Kieran Tierney, I think, is important maybe to give him the armband. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. see a bit of steel in Arteta's interviews now as well. I think I've just detected pr- 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 particularly pre-game. He's kind of quite to the point. He's not hanging around. Um, he has like I think his body language has changed sort of since the start of the season. They lost their first three games. Just looking since they've won nine out of the. Previous of the subsequent fourteen games, um, mm. and to get up to fourth, considering the position they were in, as you say, they're still inconsistent, Judy. But um, Arteta's really, really turned around from the position they're in. Like he was hot favorite to get rele- to get the first managerial sack after three games. Yeah. Um, well, listen, they should. They applied to have their game called off the first game of the season at Brentford, didn't they? Because mm. they had COVID. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Look, look where we are now. Look where we are now, indeed. Yeah, Leeds. Uh, are they? I think they could be in danger here, Mark. Like I'm looking at the five points from safety, but in 16. Mm. Calvin Phillips out, Bamford out, Cooper out, Rodrigo out, Daniel James out today. Is there a danger they maybe reach the end of the road under Marcelo Bielsa? They don't have a strong enough squad. Well, I don't think they've got a strong enough squad, but um, you mentioned Cooper. I mean, you know, God love him. He's been good in the Championship. He was decent last year, but he can't run, John, which is one of the problems at the back. Um, they, they've got started to get very porous. Um, I, the only thing I would think about Leeds is that if, if we get a January transfer uh, market, I, I think they'll go in for it because, you know, you'd rather maybe have to overspend for the team to stay in the league rather than lose Bielsa. Um, by the same token, he might decide he's, he's had enough as, as he's done before and walk away from it. I don't, but I don't get I don't get that feeling. But I mean, they're down to their bare bones tomorrow. Literally, they've got kids apparently nice, yeah. on the bench. But um, I think I think they'll be okay. I, I do think that they will be okay. But um, it, it won't be good watching. Yeah, probably because of Rafinha will be only the only reason they're okay. Uh, that's a five thirty yeah, start. Yeah, and if, yeah, and if, but but I think. If, Bamford, Bamford gets fit again. All those years where we kept looking at Bamford, all all going out on loan to Premier League teams and going, he's not good enough, he's not strong enough, he's not this and he's not that. And now they miss him probably almost as much as they miss Phillips. We could do with him here. It never really happened, lads, didn't it, uh, with Bamford? Yeah. I, <laughs> it was a flirtation or I don't know who even did most of flirtation. I remember when we were... I think that- I think Dan has brought this up before. I was over at a Leeds game during Cheltenham and with a few racing personalities that were massive Leeds fans and they weren't afraid to ask him. They 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 were the kind of players were hanging around outside the ground. I think it was in Reading the game and um they asked him at the time and he said, Oh, he hadn't made his mind up but I think it was fairly obvious that Stephen Kenny was never going to be of the mind that he was gonna chase people like a desperate, you know, would be lover. Yeah. Um it just wasn't gonna happen. And Bamford had, like Bamford had no interest and yeah. he first spoke very well about yeah. his reasons for doing it. So I don't think there's any real issue there and like you know Nick McCarthy tried I, I just I, I'm pretty sure Martin O'Neill did as well too 
um, the, the the extent of the flirtation. I don't think Bamford even could be charged of playing the game like yeah. maybe some players did in the past. He, he definitely he he wasn't looking to play one off for the other or something like that. There was there was none of that with him. Aguero retired this week, uh, Mark. Very sad. Uh, heart condition. Thirty three years of age at Barcelona. Um, was he in the top eleven Premier League players of all time? Yeah, absolutely. Loved him, brilliant. And when you looked at him, you know, short, squats, a little bit chubby sometimes. You didn't think he was particularly quick, but he was um, very quick off the mark. And look at look at the goals that he scored. You tend to think straight to, oh, he scored loads of goals like inside the six-yard box and stuff. He scored loads of goals everywhere, and his finishing was sensational. His first touch as well was 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 brilliant. And by the way, I mean... You know, you kick him and he'd kick you back. Well, he's like all the Argentinian South Americans like that. You can't you can't boot them off the football park because you know they've seen it all before. But oh yeah, absolutely loved him. You can just tell with the rest of the players that that you know they appreciated and and for the for his manager to to go over to the press conference to say goodbye to him, I thought was an absolutely fantastic touch. But it also tells you something about Guardiola and his players. Dan and I have had a bit of banter recently about the taxi drivers that I've picked up since I've uh, been a little bit incapacitated. And uh, during the week, um, Anto Flood, who would have played for St. Pat's and Go United, ended up giving me a, a car ride. But another guy was this Albanian taxi driver and he was just saying, like, i completely fallen out of love with football because, like, the people are on far too much money. And when you see the likes of Aguero, the money that he's made how much it meant to him, like how sad he was, like that tearful kind of press conference where for all the money that he's made, the shock of not being able to play anymore just brought it down to human level. And maybe it's kind of like South American thing, maybe just a special, special relationship they have with football there, particularly like yeah. Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay. And um, yeah, it, it was just, it was emotional to see him because it's just, it was, um, there it was, gone. Like um, Yeah, well, I think the point about it is that like players always like to try and go out in their own terms as much as mm. as much as they possibly can, and to be honest, no matter how good the player is, like it's well known that so many players face difficulty. They've, they're scared when they retire because all of a sudden the structure that they that that is that has defined their life is gone. No matter how good or bad a pro or whatever they were, a lot of them struggle because of that sort of drift that they find when they finish playing. So I suppose someone like Aguero who was. Who was who still thought his race had plenty left to run for it to be cut down just like that in those circumstances? I can understand that emotion. Yeah. Ericsson as well, obviously leaving Milan, yeah. Inter Milan. So and, and Laro, you to retire early because of an Achilles. Uh, how did you deal with it mentally at the time? <laughs> I went and worked for bloody the big fat bastard, didn't I, Maxwell? Um, <laughs> the only good thing about that, John, was I, I had. Well, I'm saying it was a good thing. It was at the time. I had I had lunch with um, Ghislaine Maxwell one day. Did I tell you that story? This has oh, to be Mark. This, Mark. Yeah. Mark. I think we told the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just, was... I just literally, I just, I was invited by a. a they, they lived down the road from the stadium at Oxford, and. Um, she invited me there for lunch one day. We had a nice conversation and that was it, basically. You you sold, we, we had this debate before, you had to sell Dean Saunders because of him, wasn't that the case? Yeah. There yeah, I did. He, uh, well, if you remember that um, that Daddy Maxwell, as I called him, um, owned both Derby and Oxford. Wow. Yeah, So which obviously is not allowed anymore. And, and Arthur Cox was the manager of, of Derby and I'd been a kid at uh, Preston, I was like 13, 14, used to go in for training on Tuesday and Thursday night from school. And, and Arthur Cox was the first team coach alongside Alan Ball Senior. Okay. And Cox, Cox used to turn up 
And I was a left winger in those days, a spindly little, like, frightened of everything. And I, I always wondered why I used to play right back against. We'd have, like, a little practice match. And they literally had a, a training pitch at the side of, of Deepdale in those days, now a car park, like everything else. And I'd get the ball, and he'd just actually just come and kick me, no matter what I was doing with it or wherever. And, like, I was quite... I was like middle-class schoolboy and all that. And it, it, it took me about three or four weeks to suddenly realise, like, what on earth? Anyway, one day the ball came to him and I just absolutely went and just broke him in two. And uh, he was on the floor and he just looked up and he got up and he said, thanks, son. He said, my work here now is done and off he went. So he was just making the point to me that, you know what I mean, you've got to be a bit tough in this game and stuff. But mm. anyway, sorry. So, uh, so, so Arthur was manager of, of Derby. And Arthur would be coming to watch Oxford play. And I knew he was coming just to watch Dean. And I'd say to him, what are you doing here? I said, you know, he's not going to, to, to Derby because I got him to sign a new three-year contract. And I, I had a guarantee off Kevin Maxwell, who was my chairman, that I could have him for a season, OK? Because we'd, we'd got relegated. I got there, there was about eight games to go, and you, you, could, you could smell relegation. So I'm trying to change the whole team around, but build it around him and... Uh, and Maxwell said to you, right, you can have him for a year. And this was October, so it didn't last very long. Arthur Cox was in the secretary's office at the Manor Ground, and I got a phone call two hours before the game from Kevin Maxwell, who actually I got on great with. He was I, I was 30, he was 31. And he said to me, he said, oh, Mark, he said, um, Dean Saunders can't play today. I've, I've agreed that he can go and talk to, to Derby. So I went, what? He said, he can't play. And I went, anyway, I just put the phone down and I played him and he scored. But then I got another call subsequently at the end of the game. Coxie, Coxie was at the match, all those kind of things. I got another phone call from Kevin saying, you know, you've, you've crossed me, whatever, we'll need to deal with that later. He said, but he, he can go, he's now free to go and speak to Derby. So Dean came in, I got him in the office and I, obviously he'd been tapped up. And I just said, I know you've been tapped up. I don't have an issue with that. I said, I've got an issue with, with Mr. Maxwell because I've got you. I thought I had you to the end of the season, but you know what? Good luck. So he said to me, oh, Gaffer, he said, um, he said, can you do me a favour? And I went, I kind of, you know, I'll try to. He said, what should I ask for? So I said, well, look, because this is very, very political, I said, there's no way when you go to talk to Mr. Maxwell at Derby that he will turn anything that you want down. I said, because he will not send you back to Oxford, honestly. He might haggle a little bit. And uh, I, I, I was with him, I was with Dean on Thursday this week, but, you know, he always tells a story that he got absolute fortunes. The only thing he didn't get was he asked he asked for uh, a Mercedes and all he got, I think he got like a BMW or something. I said, well, you know, <laughs> not a lot of difference between them, but, oh, Dean loves me now. And then basically then I just, I said to Kevin Maxwell, uh, late that night, I'd had a couple of beers, and I said, "Kevin, I'm walking away from this. This is ridiculous." He said, "No, we've got a million pounds for 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 um, Saunders." I said, "We haven't got a million pounds. We won't have a million pounds." And by the way, I said, "We've got a million pounds, but now everybody knows we've got a million pounds." If I go, I wanted this lad that played at uh, Bristol Rovers, who was similar to Dean Saunders. I said he was 250 grand like two weeks ago. I said I go now, he's three quarters of a million. So I said he can stuff your job up your jacksie. And he said, "Oh, I'll tell you what." He said, come tomorrow to the um, to the mirror buildings in Fleet Street, Fetter Lane in, in, in Fleet Street. He said, my dad will be coming back in in the helicopter. He's in France. So I went the next day. And of course, I'm sat in the penthouse and 
and my stepfather was with me, the Oxford secretary was with me, Brian Horton was with me, he was my assistant and everything. And we sat there and this, the helicopter came in and, and he was a big fat bastard, excuse my friends. <laughs> he was horrible. He was absolutely horrible. You'd ring him up and I'd have to ring him up trying to get players for Oxford. Ring him, not Kevin. And he would just go, yes. He never said, oh, how you doing? You know, how's the team? Doing? He'd just go, yes. And it went, whatever. So anyway, he came into this room and I just remember, as, as long as my kids are alive, there was like a big table in the middle of this room but it looked very very fragile and apparently been imported from china and it, and and he sat on it and it just buckled a little bit and i just thought if there is a god Laro, Laro, right okay. okay yeah right anyway he didn't so, <laughs> so he just looked at me and he said he said to me again what so i just went for him and i said you know you promised me this you promised you that and i'm sure this is not legal and all those kind of things and then and i took a breath and he looked at me a little pause and he went, right. He said, um, actually, I quite admire the fact that you're standing up for yourself and obviously for Oxford. He said, but you know, at the end of the day, and I went, what? He said, it's F, F all to do with you and just cleared off. Very and, um, yeah. And the only good thing he did was he sacked me. He sacked me rather than me saying I'm resigning. Or I did say I was resigning. He said, no, you're sacked. But then again, the bad thing about that was he waited seven months to pay me, but hey. Uh, well, uh, on that note, we apologise <laughs> for anybody who was uh, offended by any uh, language that Lara used, but it was bloody funny, and we're going to take a break. <laughs> and you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you three to five. Remember, football on Off the Ball brought to you by Sky. Watch Leeds and Arsenal go head to head on Saturday Night Football live only on Sky Sports. We're joined by Mark Lawrence, former Republic of Ireland and Liverpool defender, Irish independent football correspondent Dan McDonnell, and the broadcaster and journalist Johnny Ward to talk about the beautiful game. Five three one zero six for your text messages. You can also tweet us at Off the Ball. Latest scores uh, from. The championship because the Villa Burnley game was uh, postponed. So it is Middlesbrough won Bournemouth nil a full time. Blackburn won Birmingham nil as the latest. It is Blackpool won Peterborough won Bristol City won Huddersfield won as the latest score and Nottingham Forest nil Hull won. And in Scotland, Rangers and Dundee United are goalless at half time. Dundee nil Hearts nil Livingston nil Ross County won and Motherwell won St Johnston nil. I was kind of thinking this is our last show before Christmas, lads. Uh, Johnny and Dan and Laro. Johnny, your favourite uh, football moment, your best football moment of the year. Um, I'll, I suppose I'll give to the the undercard is um, Gavin Bazuna's save um, from Ronaldo because I think in terms of the Kenny era, if that game had gone badly, P Tong, which it possibly could have if we went one 0 down at that stage, and given the context of how it happened with us overplaying the ball kind of out from the back, um, just I think that's the spirit of defiance that m- might define this Irish team because the the, the mental resilience of Bazuna to get up and to save the penalty was amazing and it catapulted him to, to the world stage but I'm going to go with um, we were having a chat about this yesterday and Dan said I'd probably go for this and I just so, rem- I, I, let's just be clear I just reminded you of your favourite memories of the year so why you, not you can't remember what happened last week Patrick um it's very true, actually. Patrick McElhenney's goal for Dundalk against Vitesse Arnhem. It was a really weird season for Dundalk um, because they turned it on every now and then. But his goal against Vitesse Arnhem to go 2-1 up in a game, uh, like in a proper stadium against a proper team in in, in the Netherlands and the quality of that goal, um, I thought it was it was a shame that people were kind of watching it. I can't even remember how I was watching it, on a stream or something. Probably illegally, I'd say, yeah. Um, I think it was legal, right, Dan? But I don't know. What was yours, Dan? Um, well, no, that, that was a great goal. Well, yeah, I, I would have probably. I mean, I, I always like to try and go for one I was at, and like the Bazuna one would have been up there, the penalty save and the drama. But I think just speaking generally, and not one I was at, sadly, um, 
uh, Messi, I think Messi within Copa America with Argentina, I think definitely at uh, the moment of the full-time whistle, where again, it was this, again, this sort of half-life existence where it was in the Maracanã, but it was behind closed doors, but the full-time whistle blowing and all the Argentina players running to Messi because they know that's the story. Like, I know it was 28 years since, since Argentina had won a tournament, but everyone knew really it was about the sort of the symbolism of Messi finally having that major tournament with Argentina. Um, and he, I mean, he's won pretty much everything else. Maybe he'll, he's never going to win that World Cup, but he could have won in the same in the same stadium with that sort of miss that he had that in that game. But I just thought for him, like no matter what all these guys have, um, and and all the players in that Argentina team, you know, they're they, you know, they they they. I'm I'm sure there's times in their life where they love Messi, and there might even be times in their life where they might. In, you know, in some ways, could resent some of the stuff that could be around them. Maybe I don't know, but you saw them all running from with the full time whistle, and and you saw that it actually genuinely did mean the world. So I think for me, that'd be a good good contender for a football moment of twenty twenty one. Five three one six listeners, if you want to get in touch with yours, Laro, your one. Oh yeah, Italy beating England in the Euros <laughs> all day long. Listen, listen, when you live over here and look, they only played one game away in that competition. And they're all raving about this and they're raving about that. And England were good. You can't get away from that fact. But they weren't great. But you'd think they would like Brazil from 1970. And um, I was actually in Canary Wharf doing the game um, for this for this company. And, of course, they're all, all mad English fans and everything. And I, I was keeping my gob shut as much as anything. But I've, when, 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 they, when they got beat and I had to drive home that night, about six or seven hours, I tell you what, it felt like two minutes. It was fabulous. <laughs> if, you, if the BBC asked you for your moment of the year, would you give that? <laughs> no. And you no. wouldn't be talking about Robert Maxwell either. No. no exactly. Come on, boys. Get with it. Uh, J- JD? Uh, fans back in stadiums mm. simple as that Luxembourg was an absolute idea watching forever it forever a broadcaster well like um, the, the, the life life is, is fans yeah. life yeah. is football it was nothing yeah. without fans like absolutely a, was it the Hurland final last year it was brilliant to be there um, just a privilege to be there to see it Waterford against Limerick but with 200 people at an empty Croke Park in December it was, it was grim and mm. uh, to, even, to, to go to that Portugal game uh, in November, it was just fantastic. Do you know, just on that, JD, so the like the whole Super League being kind of beaten down for now by the fans, um, that allied to the fact that it basically became um, quite uh, quite obvious from the results that fans were the only difference in home advantage and, and not home advantage in grounds. Because um, games behind closed doors, it didn't matter anymore statistically where the game was. The results were basically as if it were a neutral venue. So fans meant made, make that much of a difference. And as you say, Comparing the nil all against Portugal um, and the, the, the atmosphere that night and the game against Luxembourg. Yeah, OK, let's go to Croke Park now for an update on the AIB Leinster Club Football Championship semi-final between Stalmaliers of Wexford and Kildare's Nace. Owen Sheen, what's the latest there? Yeah, half-time here and it is 1-6 to Shelmaliers, 6 points to Nace. I told you before, John, uh, before uh, throwing John, not to write off any of the underdogs today and that has certainly been the case here in the first half. Shelmaliers, much the better team. That being said, within the first 60 seconds we thought it would go to script. Luke Griffin had got in and pointed twice within the first 60 seconds to put Nace 2 points to nothing up. 
that really is it in terms of their dominance for this half because Chandeliers rallied extremely well and they got immediate dominance on Denae's kick out Denae's goalkeeper is still in school uh, severely uh, inexperienced he's been brilliant all campaign so far but he suffered a little bit in the first quarter of a game one of his kick outs led to a goal from Owen Nolan for Shells who palmed to the net in the 7th minute and then moments later they should have had another one John Aaron Murphy he took one extra solo if he'd just gone straight to the net instead of taking that solo they could have had a second goal for the day and then moments later there was another bit of good fortune for Shell Maliers because Nace got reduced to 14 men with Conor McCarthy and a foot trip leading him to being black carded but during that 10 minutes despite having the extra man they couldn't go an extra score up and they failed to add to their lead so they were two points up when Nace got their extra man back on the pitch but 15 against 15 has not dissuaded Shell Maliers whatsoever here they've added to their lead in fact and Glenn Malone their midfielder has kicked a third of his three frees in that first half just an injury time here so at half time it is the underdogs the 5-1 to one underdogs earlier on this morning Shell Maliers won 6 Nace 6 points Thanks so much Owen back to you in the second half there Aulart the Ballock the All-Ireland Camogie Club champions 4-8-2-9 win over Sarsfields of Galway at Nolan Park the long walk hurdle at Ascot has been won by Champ at a price of 4-1, to one, John Joe O'Neill Jr. riding for Dickie Henderson in the colours of J.B. McManus. The Ansam was a 7-1 winner of the Silver Cup there. The Tommy Whittle chase at Haydock went to Encard at a price of 8-1 to one at Navin. There's been a couple of winners for William Mullins and a couple as well for Gordon Elliott, as you would expect on a regular card. In the Scottish Premiership, Rangers nil, Dundee United nil is the latest score. And scores in the Championship as well. Middlesbrough won, Bournemouth nil, Blackburn Rovers won, Birmingham City nil, Blackpool won, Peterborough won a half time, Bristol City won, Huddersfield won is a half time as well, and Nottingham Forest nil, Hull won. Aston Villa against Burnley was postponed. Only one Premier League game today, Leeds against Arsenal at half five. Mark Lawrence and Dan McDonald and Johnny Ward with you between four and five. Lots to talk about, including Stephen Kenny and the Nations League. Off the ball Saturday on News Talk is back after the news. You look at the game last night and you think to yourself, this Manchester City team are going to be the first Premier League team to score 10 goals in a match. It is going to happen. We are going to reach that high watermark. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Arsenal versus Brighton in the Women's Super League this Sunday. Live only on Sky Sports. And you're welcome back to Off The Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five. Remember, football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by Sky. Don't miss Tottenham Hotspur against Liverpool on Super Sunday. Live only on Sky Sports. You can text us 53106. Tweet us at Off The Ball. You can now listen to us on News Talk and also watch us on the digital and social channels for Off The Ball for Periscope and Twitter at Off The Ball, YouTube, Facebook and on the OTB Sports app. Search OTB Sports in your app store now to download it. We're joined by Mark Lawrenson, former Liverpool and Republic of Ireland defender, Irish independent football correspondent Dan McDonnell and the broadcaster and journalist Johnny Ward to talk about the beautiful game. The Nations League draw. So we got Scotland, Ukraine and Armenia next year, uh, Dan. And... Uh, are we now still in a blooding territory or are we now in a very much results territory with Stephen Kenny? Are we moving into the realm of no excuses now next year? Uh, no, yeah, I think so, yeah. I think, I think, to be fair, you know, he has been given a, a fair bit of leeway. Like, and I think and I would say that as someone who would, have, who would be quite, you know, quite supportive, but you also have to acknowledge that, that more understanding has been shown um, than might have been to, to other people at times. And as I said, like, I think there was exceptional circumstances. I think, like, for example, 
I was sort of look, looking at this in an end of year piece, you know, if for example someone had making the had, had made the decision after Luxembourg in, in March to pull the trigger, like for, you know, which I don't think was ever going to happen, but just say that that had happened, you know, it would have been someone who would have left without ever managing Ireland in front of a crowd, without ever having a camp that didn't have COVID in it, you know, without I think probably ever having a proper crack at it. He subsequently, I think, you know, had camps where there's no excuses, there's no. You know, there's been no issues around it. They've been able to sort of mingle and mix normally as a squad and have proper time together. And what we've seen is an upturn in results. It finished with the high, as you mentioned earlier, which are a moment of a sort of a full house against Portugal and a really like unbelievably supportive away crowd in Luxembourg sort of banging on the windows of the press conference to chant uh, the manager's name. And when you think, you know, they, they, they came a distant third in, in their group and they still have that sort of fever around the edge of it. It shows that the fans are very much with it, or the match-going fans are very much with it. But of course, like it comes to next year, um, and it's only right, like it's it's the Ireland manager's job that there's going to be um, there's going to be proper scrutiny around that. And I think there is no doubt. I think it's a tough draw, but I think also the, the the nature of the Nations League is that you are meant to be playing teams around you of similar ability. You know that you're meant to be, you know, playing teams who are who are graded in your level. I suppose in, in racing parlance, you know, because of their results over a period of time. So if you have six games, um, there's a, there's it's, it's sort of realistic to expect some strong results from those six games. And uh, Johnny touched on it earlier. It's a bit of an unusual schedule and this like you have 10 days in June with four games and it's almost like a major tournament except the major tournament it's like is the last Euros where there's a lot of flying in it where Ireland play Ukraine on a Saturday travel to Armenia on the Tuesday play Scotland back at home the following Saturday and then pack their bags straight away and go to play Ukraine again Um, so really like momentum and fitness and happy camp and no COVID and there's, you, 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 like a lot of the year will revolve around everything being good in that 10 days but I think with Scotland and Ukraine playing each other in the World Cup playoff in March they're not going to have the focus on the Nations League that Ireland will and I think it's, it's very reasonable to expect the team to be very competitive in that Nations League group And Mark uh, Scotland are resurgent now under Steve Clark. they're in the World Cup playoff against Ukraine they've been doing well and Andy Robertson a key part of that yeah, I think they've got one or two really good players uh, alongside Andy Robertson. They've got a really good manager uh, in Clarkey, Steve Clark. Um, and he doesn't get carried away, win, lose or draw. And you feel as well that, you know, the, the nation's behind them, aren't they? They've had quite a long time in the doldrums, feel a little bit like us. And then they started to get makings of a team together, got some excellent results. Um, you know, and there'll be strong opposition. But in saying that, you know, Playing against them twice, it's not, it's it's almost be like a, a kind of club match as much as anything, John. And, and and as we know, you know they are they are beatable. And who's to say it changes so quickly as well international football? And you know you have, you're getting a couple of players maybe that have another year later have really come on, or you, you lose a couple of players. Um, but yeah, no, they're they're a decent side, but they're, they're certainly beatable. Five three one six. You guys are just canny cheerleaders, completely biased, no objectivity at all when it comes to him on 53106 <laughs> as we uh, go into the Christmas season seven days away from Christmas Day. <laughs> but was there a context that should we have responded to the draw with a bit more anger? Like, do you know what I mean? Or what, what's the... What, what's the was, please text back and, and tell me what's the what would the desirable starting point for that discussion have been, if possible. You know, this is an outrage. I don't know. Um, 
Yeah, it's John. not easy scoring against Scotland, John. Oh, well, someone's done it. Yeah, someone's done it. Hare scored a very famous goal, haven't they? It's not me or Johnny. Like to, not me or Johnny, to be clear. <laughs> or JD. Uh, yeah, it was the was it Ronnie Whedon on the left back, wasn't it? It was the Ronnie and Paul McGraw right back. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, no, we didn't. We we kind of knew the eleven players, but we didn't realise what the formation was. I, I had no idea where I was playing. Um, yeah, <laughs> there was there was loads of us. So yeah, but obviously it worked. He blinded us with science, didn't he, Jack? Yeah, no. So just get all the best players on the pitch, really, was it? I mean, much, it was almost yeah. like that. It was like sort of school, just pick the best team, you know, and just well, put the best that, team out there. I think when you look at it now, maybe maybe, maybe that was exactly his plan. Mm. And who's to say he got it wrong? I, I think, um, just on this, I think this is a very exciting time to be an Ireland fan because of the real prospect of us getting to the Euros, whereas the World Cup was probably very optimistic and, like, I was actually talking I did not understand how this worked and I, I, I had to ask Dan a couple of times I sent him a text sorry you're telling me if we finish second in, in the Nations League we'll likely get into a playoff and then he responded with about 26 messages to explain how this might happen so it wouldn't said, be good radio John it yeah. would not be good radio to go there <laughs> so I, I just said Johnny I tried to distill it for you I said don't get into it I said Ireland win their Nations League group they'll definitely have a playoff if they come second they probably will very strong chance like let's just keep it as simple as that you and know? I, I know Dan, Dan has written a bit about that Stephen Kenny might regret the fact that he's, he's, he's stated an ambition prior to the draw obviously to win this group and um, I think it's it's not out of the bounds of possibility. Like I think this will be quite tight between the front three teams. And as yeah. as, as as the point is made there, one of them is obviously going to the World Cup and it's not going to be um all that important for them. Kenny's situation, like he, he it's hard to forget like how much bad luck he had in his first year. And as you mentioned, JD, the Luxembourg Nadir and all these games behind closed doors. But you're just hoping that when we go into June that we've we've players sort of coming off um, good seasons, but certainly that he has players his best sort of team available. It's kind of hard to predict at this stage how they'll be able to fight uh, over four games in the space of ten or eleven days. Um, but I think I think the mood will be very very good. Um, I think you know the, the the Anthony Barry and Keith Andrews. You know their futures maybe the Anthony Barry future might not be as set in stone as Stephen Kenny's at the moment. But as long as he's there, I think the camp is very good, and we have a lot of young players who just might be clicking into gear as well. Um, and I think the mood around the camp has been very good. And let's remember as well, in, in the context of Ukraine and Scotland, like Ireland's two games against Serbia and Portugal, drew against both of them at home, lost by the odd goal away. Um, and But for Mark Travers, who didn't have a great night, could have gotten a draw over there. And obviously Ronaldo and Portugal. So I've no reason to think we should be um, afraid of these games. And, the, you know, I, I fully understand or fully expect that the place will be sold out for the Ukraine and game, the first game of the, of the nation's league and um, the atmosphere will be great and I think that's testament to what Stephen Kenny has done and that might maybe uh, shut that text up as well who said but, we're cheerleaders but that, um, that, that June schedule is difficult but to be honest you can look at it in a very positive way from an Irish perspective and say that there actually isn't um, a huge volume of Irish players playing, every, playing week. every week in the Premier League that are going to be subject to maybe what, you know, what are the likes of Andy Robertson and Kieran Tierney and Scott McTominay you know, John McGinn, like those big sort of Scotland players who could end up being subject to a sort of a very hectic schedule, particularly the ones with the better clubs who might be going into the sort of Champions League uh, latter stages. Whereas, by contrast, yeah, some of the younger Irish players in the Premier League aren't playing. Um, and the ones in the Championship, their season will finish 
um, in good time, even if there's some delays or whatever now. So actually, really, I know Stephen Kenny did make a quite pointed comment yesterday about um, they don't they don't want anyone to be dropping out, and maybe sometimes there's obviously the odd temptation for a club to say to a player, you know, you need to rest up that issue with that, you know, and and whatever it might be. Um, but I would think potentially Ireland would be less vulnerable to that maybe the, than, than Scotland might be and some of the other teams that are going to be involved in the Nations League that marathon We'll just get on to a couple of the players in a moment but just on uh, the game we're doing tomorrow Laro, uh, Nathan Murphy and Brian Kerr Tottenham Liverpool if it does go ahead uh, Diogo Jota seems to have really cemented his place in that Liverpool front line now recently and what's the kind of the, the talk about the Portuguese player around Anfield uh, and his contribution? Oh they really like him and and they like the fact that um you know he's a he's a better goal scorer than uh, than Firmino, a different player obviously, but his his timing of his runs scores a lot of headed goals as as we've seen as well. But he he works really hard and you know he, he doesn't get knocked over easy. He's, he's got something about him, even though he's got quite a small frame. He's he's quite tough, um, and they like all that. And yeah, I think I think you know Klopp's looking at him at the moment and thinking you you are one of my three alongside obviously the other two. And I know uh, Firmino came on the other night, but at the moment it's it, I think it's Jota's position to lose. And I think what's also helped him is is Thiago. I mean, I absolutely love watching this bloke. He's, I think he's just fabulous. I really really do. Yes, he's lacking half a yard. Yes, he's maybe a little late for tackles and stuff. But what he does on the ball. It's, it's sensational. He's, he's got radar, and just a pity we've not got him four or five years early. I can just—I spend my time. I was there on Thursday, you know, just just watch him, and and he just—he knows where the ball's coming before it's even got to him, which is a sign of a real class player. Can they do without Fabinho and Van Dijk? Now they're going to have to isolate. Will it be? It won't be as easy at Tottenham tomorrow. We don't know what you're going to get from Tottenham. Either fresh because they haven't played in two weeks, or undercooked. Well, I think I think you'll get what you will get. Is is a definitive way of how Tottenham are going to play, because um, I'm presuming they've, they've actually trained for, for most of the, the time, even though the games have, have been um, postponed. So he'll have been working them. I bet, I bet he's had the morning and afternoon uh, Conte on the training pitch, so they'll know exactly what it's all about. I think it's going to be very very tight tomorrow because he, he demands that they run and they run, and when they stop running, they have to go and run some more. So I just think it'd be a, a tough game for Liverpool. Um, played on Thursday as well, Thursday night, 8 o'clock. So, yeah, um, I'm expecting a decent performance from Tottenham. Man City were just, I thought, sensational the other night. Now, look, Leeds are, are struggling a bit and they don't do the best away from home and they've had all those injuries and everything. But, mm-hmm. like, he seems to be able to keep the players happy. Uh, there, there's a good competition for places. And to me, they're going to win the Champions League. Uh, I know they, they've, they've flopped and he's blown it tactically at times. But for yeah. me, there are streets ahead. I don't know if you guys agree or not. Um Oh well, I just think it, I think it will be an English winner. That, that's most definite. That's not an outstanding statement, but I do I do think it will be. It, it just depends, really. Um, as you said, John, you alluded it to a little bit, a little bit where he made one or two strange decisions in the later stages of the Champions League, which ultimately cost them. And why why would you change the way that this team plays? I would look at what they've got. I wouldn't necessarily be worried about any team that they played against because if City are on it. They can beat anybody, as you've just, you know, mentioned there. So, I would say that the favourites, but you know, favourites don't necessarily win. And obviously, you know, when was the last time we saw a really open Champions League final? I certainly can't remember, but that's not saying a lot because I can't remember last week. But I mean, um, yeah, they they would be favourites, and it's just 
forget the fact that Manchester City, they're just absolutely fabulous to watch. It would have been great to play in their team. Oh, my goodness, how good are they? I just don't think you can say that with certainty about a cup competition, John. You know, like I think if if you're certain about a team being able to do something, you'd be thinking, yeah, they're going to win the league because they're showing the quality that'll show. But I just think the recent history of City in the Champions League shows that they they have it in them to freeze, or you know, the pressure on them to win the Champions League is such that I mean, it, it may well prove to be right, but there's so many variables that can. Uh, that can be thrown into the mix. I mean, even if we end up, I don't know, I just I can't go back to the start, but if we have COVID situations or you have certain players missing at the wrong time or whatever it might be, I just couldn't say anything with certainty about the Champions League, just the way it's going to go. Just on that as well, the Guardiola thing, right? This is his thing, right? So I think the players might be a little bit struck by fear with regard to Guardiola for this because they know this is what he wants and he's an intimidating uh, person. Like, And I know the style of football they've played is probably the best we've ever seen in the Premier League. But maybe mm-hmm. when it comes to the crunch, that might actually be a problem for them. They should be winning the Champions League. The Real Madrid won the Champions League three years in a row. They won the Champions League four years out of five. If you're the best team in Europe, and Liverpool were the best team around that uh, that time, those couple of years when they reached the final, then they won it. You should be winning the Champions League. But do you think League. they'll win the league, John? But yeah, that, I do. I think they, I, certainty. Oh, OK. Uh, well, I can't, yeah. like, nobody can say with certainty, but okay. I, I just think, like, uh, I do feel that in the hindsight, in the rearview mirror, when they do win the Champions League, and I think it will be this season, people go, oh, yeah, well, they just... It just wasn't working for them, and then it did, it did work, and it worked spectacularly. Leon, John, I know that, I know that, but I, I, I just the way the way they're playing at the moment, and all those attacking players, and Rodri yeah. being key in that. Rodri's been no De Bruyne though, really. In terms like of De Bruyne had, was brilliant tonight. But they, yeah, will they ever had a better chance than last year? In a way, you know, like they're playing in the final against the Chelsea team that finished. Although they had their FA Cup, maybe they had a little bit of the. You know, they they had the hex in them or whatever. Like they were playing a team that they'd finished miles ahead of mm. in their own league, who were playing to try and qualify for the Champions League in the final day. And City, having won the, the title as a dominant team, still couldn't win the Champions League final against them. You know, so that's I just think, the slight fear. Yeah, I think the other thing with him as well is, and sometimes I just think he thinks he's the cleverest person in the room. Mm. Guardiola, just that on on occasions, I love the way I've met him a few times. Really nice bloke and all those kind of things. But sometimes I just get the impression that he does think he's the cleverest person in the room. And um, be interesting to see if they win it. They certainly deserve to win it the way they're playing at the moment. But we'll see. You mentioned Thiago as well. Liverpool, the way like Liverpool to win their six games in the group. Um, I wouldn't. If I think Liverpool fans going up against Man City in the Champions League at some stage would be very very confident. But, that well, they, well, well, they they seem to have. Uh, like there was a couple of Champions League matches they seem to have the like even the 2-2 draw I thought Liverpool were the better team at mm. times there in, at Anfield but that, like if they mess like they're the best two te- they're still to me the best two teams in the world this season, this season you thought Liverpool were the better team yeah, I did. Yeah, but I was watching. It, uh, was that the game with City? Were very dominant for the first half, though. It was a weird it? game. Yeah. Then yeah. again, I was I was watching it in the Conservative Club outside Tottenham Hotspur's ground. Oh, well, there you go. Conservative <laughs> Club. You know, we had a few points, although the windows were steamy because City were better than Liverpool that day. Okay, uh, right. it's just Salah though. Also, you mentioned also back the winner of the Prix de la Vey, so so. <laughs> Okay, John, you're, you're not on trial like, here, John. JD's like history John's of twenty twenty one or so. He was watching four different. Uh, I don't know. These, these conservative, these conservative club those, parties right. sound pretty good. Or is this a different conservative <laughs> club you're in, John? No, this is this is a subsidised <laughs> club for Tottenham Hotspur fans uh, only outside the ground. I thought uh, it was uh, the number ten. No, no, no. This is like somebody's living room with three pound a pint with a mask on. The plus point for Liverpool as well is that Salah to me is the best player in the world at the moment he's played unbelievably well he's refreshed and Liverpool against Man City should it happen will create lots of chances and they won't have any fear whatsoever and uh 
I think it'll be an English winner because I think English football is very dominant at the moment and after PSG yeah. there's very little and I, I actually don't think PSG are that good either 53106 yeah. just because someone does not agree with the news talk for you and Kenny does not mean they should shut up um, uh, the championship is one of the busiest what news talk for you on Kenny that, that, that you, you've, you've, you'll have Brian Kerr on tomorrow who might have a different view to me I mean there is no news talk for you it's not like we're this isn't North Korea we've different views on Stephen Kenny we've probably different views than we had 12 months ago as well as Stephen Kenny might have different views we're given honest views on Stephen Kenny um, and if he didn't see progress over the last sort of three or four games I don't know what he's watching uh, you're a great you're man allowed to change your view. sorry you're allowed to change your view yeah uh, absolutely and I do that many times a day. Uh, <laughs> you should have won that game, John. <laughs> These are my principles, and if you don't like uh, them, I'll change them. You're a great man, John, for the definitive statement. You're, t- talking at, you're taking out Liverpool, Bayern Munich out of the equation there, says Mick, in Dublin. Uh, the Championship's one of the biggest leagues, busiest leagues in the world. Uh, Ireland's lower league players will be wrecked, says Dylan. Nah, but, fin- but it finishes in early May. That's the thing. The Championship does. Unless there's guys involved in the, the playoffs, they do have, yeah. a, they have a good break to the international break. And actually, sometimes the danger is they end up undercooked. So, so how do you do that, though, Dinda? So you're finishing early May, but you're playing... like So you have a break, but then you're playing in early June, and you're supposed to have your off-season break. Like I, That's the challenge, though. They, like, that, that is a challenge that they faced before. And also, as well, with those internationals, I think I'm... I could be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure they're starting the English season earlier next year for to compensate for Qatar. Yeah. So an international yeah. break going into Jill, into the, into the 14th of June when the Premier League starts pretty early. It's the first week well, of yeah. August. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, think, I think as a player, you have to have a minimum of three weeks off. Yeah. You have to. Like you, you mentioned Robertson there. Like, what, how many games has Robertson played since we'll say the start of last season? When you think for Scotland, for Liverpool, and yet he's probably well, expected. Actually, not not as many as you think, because because the uh, the Greek lads played Simicast, a few games. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's it's still lots. It's it's lots and lots. But it's it isn't quite as many. And in fact, he, he was a little bit off at the start of the season. That's why the Greek how would you not be like? And Klopp has spoken about this. Like, how can you expect players at that level, the pace that they play at, to keep producing it? And like, I think it will become a serious issue. And obviously, like as Dan says, it won't affect Ireland as badly as others. But some players are going to be absolutely knackered by the time they go to this stupid World Cup in the winter in Qatar. Like, and not only that, they'll, they'll be injured. Mm. Mm. Um, 53106 ooh did I touch a nerve um, <laughs> uh, spare me how many fawning OTB O'Neill Lovins were there compared to the nauseating Kenny cheerleading from the ad set uh, on 53106 <laughs> uh, forget league titles which are usually a run out over two to three teams the Ronaldo Ramos dynasty winning four out of five Champions League titles has a real value says Brian on 53106 good point there Brian Gavin Mizunu recently what four clean sheets in a row for Portsmouth he's not bad uh, not bad 19 years of age one of the uh, stars of the year, definitely. He's in. He's in for a couple of young sports star of the year awards and stuff. Where is he going to end up? Like, and how soon? I wonder. Plymouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard to know. Like, I think. See, he's he's very determined to keep playing, as opposed to necessarily right. being Cleveland Keller. Do the Cleveland Keller yeah, thing okay. on it, but yeah, good. It, it'll come to the stage where that becomes a, you know, that'll become a discussion point. Like, I mean, City do, like they sold Angus Gunn a couple of years back. Like they do, they have Zach Steffen there behind Ederson. But again, like you have such an exceptionally good number one, Ederson, who I think is maybe 28, 27. Um, there, there'll come a stage, but I think Bazzini will just keep doing loans. I think he'll probably yeah, go for well, a better loan next year, you know? Why wouldn't you? Just keep experiencing everything. You know, you've got to keep playing, haven't you? And Aaron Connolly needs to be playing, doesn't he? He was first start of the season during the night, taking off half for an hour. 
They all do, John. They just, you know, you've got, you go and learn your trade and then, then you go back. And I'll tell you the other thing as well is with these lads at the lower league clubs and then they go back to the, obviously the parent clubs and the big clubs, they suddenly realise what they've got. And generally, generally with the ability, most of these lads kick on again. The point with Aaron Connolly, though, Aaron Connolly was playing. Oh, um, well, so, but like, so if you compare it to Adam Eda, like Eda has never really gotten a run with with Norwich. Like no. Aaron Connolly was getting regular game time for Brighton, and his form dipped. So, like, I'm not sure what's gone on in his life personally or whatever off the pitch, but like, he hasn't been the same player, and um, it's disappointing to see. But he had his chance. It wasn't yeah, he, see, the, the, he, the, he the, had the, game time. Sorry to cut right, but there would be a view. But on what Laro was saying there, there would be a view, and I've heard it sort of expressed from people who would. You know, be around the game and stuff. That actually, what Connolly needs to do now is just go and do that. Like mm. He hasn't actually, he hasn't really had the experience of playing a run of games at first team level Lower anywhere, level. and he just needs to go and do it because he's mm. going to be overtaken by lads who are who are doing that. Mm. And I think that's probably the crossroads Connolly is coming to. But he got very good. He got the good contract last year, you know, which is a big thing for a player to mm. get a decent deal. And clearly likes being around the Premier League club. And it's, can, uh, who are we to talk? Of course, it's ma- I'm sure that's a massively tempting thing to do, you know. But I think there comes a stage where maybe he just needs to go out and become a little bit more streetwise. And Chelsea, Mark, are they slipping a bit for you? 80% possession against Everton, they can't finish yeah, with the couldn't finish. Back, John. Yeah, they, they've back. Lost, they've, 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 most of the midfield's been off, hasn't it? They'll, they'll be back, don't worry about that. I, I just think they've got a really good chance of still winning the league. We're, we're not even halfway yet. Um, I really do think they'll, they'll kick on. So, no, I wouldn't. They're only four points off City, aren't they? Yeah. Which I know, no City have been great and all those kind of things, but, you know, that those, those top three, or the top three, I think this goes right to the end of the season for those three. They'll be clear of all the others, but it'll it'll be one one out of three, obviously. The Chelsea wobble is a bit weird. Like, I mean, we were all, I think, tipping them to win the league, and the last month has been it's really yeah. alarming. Con, Conte well, out of the team, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, that's been significant. Uh, Jorginho as well been out, and he yeah, at, at times. Uh, Lukaku obviously has mm, come back, yeah. but he, he hasn't started firing yet, and he hasn't really been almost given the chance no. to. And the, and the goalkeeper's having a bit, he's had a bit of a funny month where he... Yeah, a lot of players had a contract, like you've Christensen, Rudiger, uh, Thiago Silva. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say that's a problem, John, right. because if, if they are seriously thinking of going, they're selling themselves, aren't they? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they're, selling, yeah. they're selling themselves to a, you know, you might think you might be going to Madrid, and then all of a sudden a PSG comes in if you have a really good last four or five months of the season so I wouldn't necessarily be too worried about that because it's like you, you know, you're in the marketplace and go on on you go prove to us what a good player you are OK we nearly got to leave it there Laura are you uh, looking forward to Christmas Day are you a turkey and ham man uh, uh, turkey I'm very very much very much a turkey man so yeah I love I love Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and obviously Boxing Day if we have the football so yeah looking forward to it Danny, are you a turkey and ham man yeah, no, I, I, I am, John. I think we might go around the table here. I'm sure we, we might get strong views on turkey and ham. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I endorse turkey and Armenia. We're cheerleaders. We're cheerleaders for turkey here. This is the thing. Like, you know, it's, it's a poultry-obsessed uh, studio. <laughs> but, um, no, uh, yeah. This Can't one, be I, having I, turkey, Dan. I, I, like, uh, it's the driest, most bland well, that's what oh, sauce is, is for. See, see yeah, this is what... You, why do you need sauce? We shouldn't need sauce. Like, you don't need to put anything on steak. Like, you know, turkey's... Hey, boys. You can tell we've not got no football, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> this is grim. Well, this with is cranberry grim. sauce, bread sauce. 
like the ham is by far the preferable. Really? You get your you get your coating on the ham with a bit of honey and turkey is like one of the most disappointing meats you'll taste. It's just so overrated. <laughs> it's just dry. There's nothing going on there. I'd be a goose man, Jerry. Yeah. I, I don't know if the listeners. Goose can... is far from where you were raised as well, Johnny, to be clear. Absolutely. You know, goose, goose, maybe. Yeah, yeah. goose. You know, I don't goose. know if the listeners can take any more of this. We've got to leave it there. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and enjoy your Christmas day, lads. Laro, Dan, Johnny, thanks so much. Thanks, JD. Thank thanks. you. And uh, the latest scores now from the Premier League. Uh, well, there's no games on. <laughs> <laughs> My work is done. That was here. the joke, as McBain would say. <laughs> 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 we've, a, we've a pre-record after this so that's, that's the reason why we're, we're kind of finishing up a little bit earlier with the live I'll be back with the live scores as well just before five and all the latest in the club action uh, Middlesbrough won uh, Bournemouth nil a full time from the uh, championship Blackburn 3 Birmingham City nil is the latest score as well Blackpool won Peterborough won Bristol City won Huddersfield 3 and Nottingham Forest won Hull 1 and in Scotland Rangers won Dundee United they've taken the lead there Motherwell 2 St Johnston nil Livingston nil Ross County 1 and Dundee nil Hearts nil let's get an update from that AI B Leinster Club semi-final the first one we remember Kilmacudden and Port Harling to meet at five but at the moment they're into the second half Shell Maliers of Wexford against Nace of Kildare and it is very tight Owen Sheen and uh, and uh, you know, obviously seem to have an issue with the line we can tell you though the score it is Shell Maliers 110 Nace 19 55 minutes on the watch get into the closing stages there we'll be back with a report from Owen and more football content after this on Off the Ball Saturday